It's Tuesday, March 17th, 2020. And suddenly, everything is different. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and yet we are still teaching tomorrow. We've all found ourselves in this new normal, and I feel pretty confident in knowing that we're all united in how COVID-19 is shaping our realities. Some of you haven't left your houses. Some of your children are now at home with you. Some of your schools have shut down indefinitely. And this brings up many questions. Before all this started to happen, I had taken a little hiatus from the podcast. I'm lucky that this isn't my full-time job. And if I step back from this little hobby of mine, it doesn't have any significant impacts on myself or the people around me. I'm also 35 weeks pregnant and finishing up the end of my winter term, focusing just on my students and my family felt like the best and the most sane use of my dwindling energy in this third trimester. And then schools in Ontario were closed. As far as we know until April 6th, but it might be longer. And many of our administrations have announced some plans for online or distance learning to help our population practice social distancing. The time for podcasting and sharing resources has never been more important. So I dusted off the microphone and sent a call out to a few of the smartest educators I know to talk about best practices in online learning. The first voice that you'll hear was actually the last guest I had on the show in episode 29, Les Macbeth. Not only did she pop onto a call at the very last minute, but it was also the day before she gave birth to her delicious new baby girl. I've gotten one text message and a photo, and Mama and Babe are both glowing and seem beyond smitten. Les is the Director of Professional Development at Future Design School and also self-describes as obsessed with real-world connections in the classroom. That perspective shone through loud and clear when we were talking about how we might use this as an opportunity as educators. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting opportunity to think about like experiential learning in a way or like, yeah, like what, what are the opportunities you can take advantage of now you're not having to be in a classroom yeah. and like, do the students have to learn what you were going to teach them or are there ways that you could teach, use this as an opportunity to like even use the, the, epi, the, the pandemic as a, a, a teaching opportunity, right? Like a, how do you talk about like in social studies, what, you know, what is the greater good and why do we do things for the greater good and what's the social contract and like Mm. getting into that kind of thing in science, there's so many obvious connections with biology and immunology and how diseases spread. And even with math and the statistics and the data and English, you can look at um, media literacy and what's true and what's not true. Like there's so many ways that I think you can actually use this because people are obviously obsessive obsessed with it like you know media mentions is out of control so leverage that interest and teach the kids about what's happening in the world and it doesn't have to just continue what you had planned before this all happened she also really cautions teachers against the easy way out um and avoiding things like digital worksheets i'll let les speak for herself though on this one 
Um, so I think that what I found works well is a, a sort of mix of synchronous and, and asynchronous. Uh, at Future Design School, we run a lot of online programming for teachers um, uh, more than for students. Um, but we are actually developing some programming for students that we're going to be giving out uh, to people to use for free during this time. So if you're looking for resources, um, stay tuned to Future Design School. In the next week, we're going to be rolling out some student programming uh, that you can leverage online with students. Um, but uh, in those online courses with teachers, I found that the, the, those synchronous connections where you can actually get together face to face and keep that relationship going is so important. It can't just be sort of posting things online and students sort of doing it anonymously because they lose that sense of connection. And I think that part of the, um, the buy-in for students is, is feeling like they're accountable to someone and that face to face connection makes such a, such a big difference. Um, and also just be able to hear what your students are saying and what they're feeling during this time that can also be pretty stressful for kids. I think that empathy piece and maintaining those relationships is really important. My husband teaches out at Humber College and they're uh, also going online. Mm. So, so yesterday he was asking me about, he's like, what's the best way for me to be giving my students feedback on their projects? Because normally he would be sitting one-on-one -on -one and doing like five minute conversations with every student and giving them feedback. And so I set him up with Flipgrid and now he's going to have the students sort of do their two minute pitch. This is my design for my um, thing that I'm working on. And then he can give them that feedback. So you can even have that face-to-face -face connection asynchronously if setting up a time to meet is too hard. Um, but there's also lots of other tools like using Google Calendar with older students to set up appointment slots so they can pick 15 minutes for you just to have a 15 minute check-in like every other day or setting up a time for your whole class to get together or arranging small groups. I think there's lots of different ways that you can tackle that. Um, but the tools are, are available and they're pretty intuitive um, and, and easy to use. So, And I think there's also the, the danger that could happen right now is that um, you know, we've been trying to move away, move towards a more student-centered approach and move away from sort of worksheet style education. And I feel like the danger of online learning right now is that it just becomes here's a bunch of documents that you need mm -hmm. to and people checking off boxes and going through motions um, and trying to be cognizant of that as teachers and say, I'm not just going to create a bunch of worksheets for my students to do, but now they're digital. So suddenly it's, um, you know, innovative, but it's actually just a worksheet. I so loved hearing this and so needed to hear this because personally, once March break is over in a week, I will be creating some kind of programming for my students and considering how I might make this an authentic, powerful experience is so important. Now, the other incredible educators that you get to hear from, well, I'll let them introduce themselves this time. Um, my name is Adam Kaplan. I'm the technology and teaching coach at St. Clement's School. And so I work with faculty across grades, helping to um, coach on tech integration, but I also teach students in grade one to seven, some tech skills. So my name is Garth Nichols. I'm vice principal at Havergal College and largely my role is student facing where I work with uh, our stu school student leadership program. But I'm also involved in the strategic direction of the school and not I don't know if you know this Celeste, but I'm also currently teaching an online course through uh, OISE continuing professional learning. I did know that and I'm deeply impressed. So you have some really good nuggets of wisdom to share with us. Now we're going to get into some of those really great nuggets in a moment, but first I wanted to jump back to something that Adam said during this conversation. Um, and if it wasn't clear, I had a three-way call between Adam and Garth and myself. So sometimes they are referencing things that each other said or are, you know, encouraging each other in some of their comments. So that's why I'm kind of including them together in this segment of the show. 
Uh, One thing that Adam started off was a really powerful reframe. When I asked him the question, what works well with online learning, he jumped right in and said this. I think there's a lot of language that can be parsed, but I'm not sure that in the end, the learning ends up being online. Hmm. The learning is learning. And so it happens in the learners and the students that are in our classes. Um, And I think we're going to lean heavily on a lot of these technologies to help us maintain those same relationships that we had at school at a distance during this unusual time. He also brought up the importance of considering keeping some of the norms and routines of school consistent to help manage our students' well-being and some surprising ways we might demonstrate empathy for our student experience in these uncertain days. I was talking with a colleague today who is expressing some anxiety over what online learning might be. And he was saying, well, at least it's going to be, um, at least it'll be in our comfy clothes. <laughs> and me, of all people, was thinking for the first time, I wonder if it might provide some students some comfort for them to be able to see me in my regular work clothes. Hmm. Not that I want to sit in my kitchen or living room or office wearing a shirt and tie, but if these are anxious times and there might already be some anxiety about these new ways of learning, as Garth said, and anxiety just generalized to the circumstances right now. If those familiar things, if the, the same jokes and the same familiar people um, look the same, then even though they might be curious about what's on my walls, if I can't <laughs> find one of those Zoom backgrounds or I don't know, that sort of thing, um, that managing some elements of the experience in that way is just a way of demonstrating empathy. If you don't know him already, Garth Nichols was on the show earlier, like we're talking episode five. Uh, He's also one of the co-founders of Cohort 21. So he is a pretty awesome leader in our community. But the thing that I love the most about this guy is his visionary approach, even in times of crisis. Online learning for me is, it's like, it's a big feedback cycle. Um, It's not a collection of discrete activities, tasks, or units. And I think what I really liked about what Adam was saying was that online learning is learning in general, um, but it is different than face-to-face learning. And a big part of what's going to happen here is, I hope, is that this is going to be a bit of an accelerator for what asynchronous dislocated learning looks like, sounds like, and feels like for our students and for teachers themselves to take what is currently a face-to-face program and move it online is not simply packaging it differently because we have to prepare our students, we have to prepare our families. So where I'd like to see the conversation going and where Adam is pointing us already is this idea that it's like online learning is about giving students or maybe reinforcing or empowering students with, with new tools, strategies, um, and mindsets to take on the learning on themselves as he, was, as he was describing earlier, but also to leverage what's also in our community. Um, empower our parents to know what this, and, and guardians that, so that they know what this looks like, sounds like, and feels like, because we know what doing homework at the kitchen table is, but what we don't know is leaving a student in front of a device and them saying, hey, I'm in class, I'll see you in 70 minutes or in 40 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so broadening the discussion of what you know online learning can be, I think is gonna be really important in the next couple of weeks. And just like me, 
in times of anxiety, Garth made a list. He had a list of five things that are really important that we consider during this time. And I'll let him speak for himself on this one. Yeah, I have four things which I would emphasize. Yes, there's a list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try, yeah, I'm trying to make, uh, what I'm trying to do is figure out for my own self and my own school what might be best. So I do think that um, maintaining a schedule is really important. And I mean, not just a class schedule, but some sort of a routine, like getting getting students, uh, daughters, sons, children, getting them outside, getting them moving at the beginning of the, of the day. You know, those types of things I think are really important. So not only maintaining a class schedule, but also LART under a broad umbrella, a well-being schedule, because that provides some sort of normalcy, predictability. It's also a way to keep attendance, you know. <laughs> um, but it does allay fears of students and maybe some worry for parents about how are they going to access support? How are they going to access the resources? Or what if, you know, what if something isn't going right? Um, it also maintains some sort, some semblance of a school community or at the very least a class community um, because we know that there's social construction of knowledge. And so having the teacher being the facilitator of that community at a regular time or a, across a broad period of time, I think is going to be really important. So that's the first thing I would say is maintain, uh, maintain a schedule. The second one is a real shift um, for what I was talking about earlier, moving from face-to-face to online. And that's um, the level of rigor has to, be, um, has to be there, but engagement is the most important thing. And again, it goes back to what Adam was talking about, this ability of transferring the ownership and agency for learning. It's, this is a brand new experience for everybody, right? Faculty, students, parents, caregivers, older sisters who are maybe you know, are in university, but setting expectations of engagement over rigor will decrease any sort of temperature or emotional temperature around what's happening here um, and move it into the space of a little bit more um, welcoming and when and being open-minded to taking on that agency. So that's number two. And then, I th- do you want me to keep going? Yes, please. Always okay. keep going. <laughs> it's great. So, in, term, in terms of the setup, uh, in terms of assessment for of and as learning, this is an amazing time to leverage technology for assessment as and for learning over a product. Um, so students shouldn't be left with a large-scale product, like a, a large-scale project or assignment, and being told, okay, this is due in four weeks, and I as the teacher will be available. It's really about regular check-ins, um, reflecting on the learning, building in accountability structures, um, those types of things. So assessment for learning, we need to like lean into that, right? Um, there's, and Adam, you will have a whole list of um, technology that'll help us out with that in terms of, um, in terms of ways of collecting information, data, responses in the back end. Uh, I could, like Edpuzzle comes to mind, but there's, there's tons of others. Um, but leaning into observation, conversation, as opposed to product and assessment for, or sorry, assessment of learning. And then the fourth, fourth one, which I think speaks to uh, what I was talking about earlier, is that we need to communicate and communicate and communicate. So there are amazing resources going out online already around like the use of infographics to explain what online learning is and something that's really visual as opposed to text heavy, mm-hmm. I think could be really important. 
And then Celeste is doing stuff like this, you know, enabling and supporting our teachers uh, to go online and do an informal recording and be like, hey, we're all learning. Woo! Here we go. <laughs> so I think those are my four, like, main pieces. In case you weren't scribbling those down like I was while Garth was speaking, just to recap, the four things he shared that are important to consider at this time are maintaining a schedule or routine, considering engagement over rigor, really focusing on assessment as and for learning. It's not about the product right now. And communication, communication, communication. The final voice that I want to share with you today is Laura Jensen. She works with the youngest of our learners, K through five. And I wanted to bring in her, not only because I've never had her on the podcast before, and she's a brilliant thinker, but also to share her experiences as a tech integrator. So yeah, I'm Lara Jensen and I teach at Upper Canada College and I teach kindergarten to grade five. And in that range, I am the technology integrator for all of those grades and I teach design in grade five. I think what really resonated with me about what Lara was saying in our conversation was the importance of considering the screen time of young people when learning at a distance and also how we might enrich learning experiences at home without sacrificing what we know works well for the primary years. It's funny. For years, I think I've said that we've got one-to-one iPads at our school, and I think my favorite app has always been the camera. And so for me, I feel like what works best is when kids can do something and document it and share what they've done, just because I'm always wary of screen time and the amount of time kids spend in front of a screen. Um, but also, I just really like how with the camera, once you've share, shared what you've done, you can reflect on your learning. You can share that with other people. Other people can see what you've done. So I guess the way that adds to that idea of collaboration and communication and being able to get feedback from others as well. So I'm hearing you say that it's really about doing something not in front of a computer and then using the tool in order to share and showcase and reflect on that thing that you've done. Yeah, and I think I've always liked that. Like I've always liked that mixture of sort of analog and digital, either doing something in an analog way and sharing it digitally or doing something digitally, but then sharing it in an analog kind of way, like just talking about what you've done. So we had our teachers meeting uh, just before the break. And one of the things we thought is we might have a check-in every morning, for example, just to see how, how kids are doing. Um, that idea of like the morning meeting that you typically see in a primary classroom. We talked about how you could still do read-alouds <laughs> that way. Um, and mm. that seems sort of manageable and feel kind of normal to young kids as opposed to having a lesson delivered online. Um, that said, we've got lots of tools that we already use. Like we use Raz Kids, we use Mathletics, we use SumDog for math. And I still think some reading and writing can be done online, just not all of it. And when thinking about that classic cycle that Laura spoke about, do something, document it, and then reflect on what you did, I asked her what she normally uses at her school to help facilitate this process. We've been using Seesaw for the last couple of years, and it has been so easy. Um, it's really intuitive for teachers and for kids to use. Um, I also find the help that they provide online is like the gold standard for the kind of help that I would want from any tech platform. If you've got a mm. question, they've got it in their help um, area, or they've got a video about it, but you can also contact them and they'll answer you right away. I love but, it. It's like perfect sponsorship opportunities. <laughs> saw, if you're listening to this, sponsor us is perfect. Yeah, they are fantastic. Um, but I think the reason it works is it will let you upload anything. So you could work in almost any platform. And if you can get a video of it or you can get a picture of it, um, you can upload it. But they'll also upload Microsoft or Google Doc, uh, I guess, 
files of any kind or video of any kind. Um, they've got a whiteboard area. You can annotate things. It, it just works. Do you think it would be easy enough for teachers who have never used it yet with their students who are in this new uh, paradigm of teaching their students that they could set it up with them asynchronously? Or is it something that you think it really needed to be set up in the classroom? Um, actually, no, it's super easy to set up. <laughs> um, cool. Even as a teacher whose school isn't using it, you can create a free account as a teacher. And I should remember all the details and I don't, but I know they've just changed it to make it easier to access from home for the very first time. So it used oh, to be that you needed a code from school where you needed your email address and they've changed something. I just, like I said, I don't remember the details, but as of Friday, apparently it should be easy to access for the first time from home now. Isn't that amazing how all of these platforms are responding and there's a lot that are offering like free trials yeah. or extended basic memberships just to allow people to meet some of these new uncertain demands. Like it's really quite amazing. People are really joining together. I, know, I find it both fascinating and scary at the same time. <laughs> like part of it does feel a bit like a sales pitch, like, hey, come use our product now and then maybe <laughs> you'll keep using us afterwards. But by the same token, it's introduced people to so many new products that they didn't know existed or didn't know that they worked a certain way. Or I've been on Twitter, I've been following a lot of teachers in Asia who've been doing this for like five to seven weeks. And so many teachers have so learned so much about teaching digi digitally. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of a silver lining too, too, just learning all these new tools. And hopefully when we're back in the actual classroom and regular functioning of our school lives that we can blend this kind of learning in, like it gives us this, uh, well, it almost pushes us into this opportunity to have to really learn what this tool is really great for and also what is really important about in-person learning, yeah. like finding that perfect blend. And I think you're right. I think it's about figuring out what, what's the benefit of each tool and mm -hmm. is, is, is that something I want to achieve with my students at this time? And then having the background of tried it to go, oh yeah, I can use it for this, but for this purpose, maybe it doesn't work as well. And finally, the last thing that Laura said that really struck me was that this might be a time more for provocations with our youngest learners rather than intense learning experiences. So I think for younger students, the idea of providing provocations might be the way to go. Like, here's something, I don't know, here's something interesting you might want to do, or hey, create something and show me what you created. Or I've seen some music teachers saying, like, make music using these kinds of things, or, um, and then just sharing something that kids have been able to sort of play with, make it as playful as possible, mm -hmm. but still based on some concept that you're trying to teach. So I also saw like a color wheel being created out of toys that they had at home. <laughs> it was mm. just interesting kinds of ideas. Yeah, actually getting them to be engaging with their surroundings in a different way. Yeah, but still think about concepts you might address at school. After talking with these four shining stars in education about what this new landscape might look like and things we should consider for our young learners, I've distilled all their brilliance down to five key takeaways. Remember, I am the girl who loves a list, so bear with me here. Number one, and I think this is the most important one, maintain the relationships. School is a social place, so how can we make sure that we are still creating this experience for young learners? This might mean hosting regular calls with your students online, Video conferencing apps could be a really great way to make this happen. It could be one-on-one -on -one conversations with students to check in and see how they're doing. It could be that students book appointments with you and you have conversations with them for 10, 15-minute chunks. Also, parents will need to have those relationships reinforced as well. 
how can we do this? How can we bolster the relationships that already exist in order to provide a sense of comfort and routine and normalcy in their lives? Number two is be realistic with your expectations. As Garth said, this might be the time to be focusing more on assessment as and for learning rather than hardcore products or having the expectation of a test when students come back into the building. This is the time to be a little bit more perhaps focused on big ideas or on some of the concepts of your course rather than the hardcore content. This might be the time where you kind of throw out what you were deciding to do after March break and try on something completely different. Maybe it's an extension of something you were doing before the March break, or it's an entirely new experience related to some of the ideas of your course. But be realistic with your expectations is so key because students will be dealing with their own challenges, their own new realities in their homes, and we have to be gentle and we have to be realistic while not compromising some of the engagement and some of the excitement that this new paradigm could provide us. And that leads perfectly into number three. Use this as an opportunity. It is a really exciting time as well as a really uncertain time. We're going to look back on this in many years and think about what are some of the amazing things that came out of this really unique experience that we've all been in. Maybe this is a time for you to experiment with some tools or some apps that you've never had the time or the bandwidth to explore. Maybe this is the time where you really figure out what is the perfect blend between online and offline learning. Maybe this is the time where you try on a whole new kind of project that you've never done with your students. All of us are trying to figure this out together. So collaborate, share, ask questions. We're really all in this together and nobody has the perfect solution. So we know what learning looks like. We know our learners very well. We are the experts in education um, and we get to take some risks and we might fail in the process and that's okay. I think if we're all gentle with each other, we can use this as an opportunity. And number four is find the balance for your students of online and offline experiences. If you think about it, a student might have upwards of eight teachers. And if everybody is assigning, you know, hardcore digital worksheets and intensive practices and hour-long sessions, it's going to turn into burnout pretty fast for our students. So how might we use the new world as a perhaps a provocation for learners? Or how might we augment what's going on in their homes already to provide interesting offline experiences that they can then jump online and reflect about or document? So trying to figure out for your discipline, for your style of teaching, for your content, what is the nicest blend you can come up with of online and offline experiences? And finally, this is for ourselves as well as for our students. Be mindful of schedules and routines. There's a lot of questions about who should be the people to create this schedule. Are the parents responsible for this? Should it be school administrators? Is it each individual homeroom teacher for students? But trying to find a way to maintain some kind of sense of routine be it wearing your regular teacher clothes, at least from the top up, or being able to provide some sense of every morning at 8 a.m., I'm going to be online. Come join me if you can. If not, the video link will be sent out so that you can watch it when you're ready. But 
creating some kind of sense of schedule and routine for our young learners as well as for ourselves will allow us to find some kind of comfort in this new uncertainty. So I'm curious, what questions do you have? What experts do you want to hear from? What anxieties about teaching and learning in this new paradigm are bubbling up for you? DM me on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow. And since we're all likely at home, it will hopefully be easier than ever to get some answers to these questions on your behalf. The ticket out the door today feels more relevant now than ever before. What do you think is the future of learning? Well, I, I will quote the titles of the last two books I've read. One is called Nuanced and the other is Open. Just that combination of um, doing something, learning from what you've done and sharing that experience or talking about that experience with others, no matter what it is. And finally, super exciting. Keep healthy, keep washing your hands, keep your distance. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.